Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? The All Things Alice podcast will explore the cultural phenomena of Alice in Wonderland. Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, is your host through a wonderverse of interviews from all types of creators as they chronicle the dark yet empowering reality of Lewis Carroll's fantasies and answer the question, what is it about Alice that captivates us still today? The All Things Alice podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Decoding Dragons, where we break down all things House the Dragon. We're your hosts, as always, Liza and Michelle, spilling the royalty and breaking down the fire for every episode. Yeah, and we're really getting into the fire now for this season. So today we're going to be talking about what happened in House of the Dragon, season one, episode eight, named The Lord of the Tides. What did you think of the episode? First off, I am still reeling from this episode. Um, I had a, like a really fantastic morning. My friends surprised me with some gifts, um, some of the Dark Horse collectibles from um, the Game of Thrones collection. And they um, told me this morning that they had bought me a ticket to a virtual Game of Thrones um, George R. R. Martin event where you get signed copies of Fire and Blood. So Whoa. I am shook. And um, I wanted to give a big <laughs> shout out to them. I appreciate you out there because I am in my feelings this morning, and I'm going to try to stay focused for um, our like our um, discussion today. But between the gifts and um, that big surprise and the episode, I am I am shook. Yeah, Jesus, <laughs> yeah. awesome. So um, between the gifts and the episode, I am reeling. But I know that we <laughs> did see <laughs> we did see Driftmark's succession, and um, we got to see Viserys climb the steps to the Iron Throne in a really really moving moment between him and Damon. And um, Vaymon's death st- stuck pretty close to the books because um, Damon is the one to um, execute Vaymon. So um, Damon, Vaymon, these names are so similar. But yeah, um, yeah. so um, that stuck really close to the books and we got to see the drama of the strong dinner. So we are definitely going to get into that and the huge misunderstanding that happened at the end of the episode between Alicent and Viserys, my friends and I who watched the um, episode um, were kind of torn between whether Alicent was aware of the miscommunication and she knew it wasn't her son Aegon he was talking about, but she needed the king's word to legitimize her son. Or, not legitimize, but you know what I mean, put him in power. Mm-hmm. Or it was an actual miscommunication and she actually thought he was talking about Aegon II. But we um, are going to get into the huge repercussions of that and the foreshadowing and meaning of that in our fire section where we discuss the Aegon that Viserys was talking about. So um, we are super hyped. But first, Michelle, what did you think of the episode? There was so much that went on in this one. There was. So I did like this episode a little bit better than the last. So I know I was kind of a hater of the last episode. Um, This one, at one point, I did kind of say to my fiance, we were watching it together and I was kind of like, this series is like just taking the Game of Thrones name with it. And that's why it's hype. But it changed (laughs) pretty quickly. I got a little bit bored through it, but it was such a good episode of all of the political um, pettiness and all of the conversation that was going on. 
Um, and all the little subtle things, the reason it keeps me going and watching it is because of all the subtle Easter eggs to the Game of Thrones that we do know. Um, so all of the little changes in King's Landing, or really the Red Keep, uh, from Targaryen things to the Sept of Baelor things and the high Hightower uh, nods and all of that stuff that it's they're subtly changing it from Viserys's reign to Alicent's reign essentially because Alicent's kind of being a bitch um <laughs> but no it was really good I really appreciated the even the time jump and so we got to meet Al uh Rhaenyra and Damon's children um which is kind of a big deal at the end of the episode and then um even damon i really appreciated he's still damon he's still kind of wild but you he's kind of gotten into his groove i feel like like he's a good dad um and he was to bela and reyna also but like you kind of see him being he's happy with rhaenyra and he's he's damon with rhaenyra and i kind of really appreciated that in this episode yeah, they do seem very happy together, and um, they have Aegon III and Viserys II together, and right now, um, Rhaenyra is pregnant with Visenya, and um, I thought that, like you said, he's really kind of coming into his own. He's found his groove. He knows who he is in the world right now. He's, you know, he's a father, he's a husband, um, but he also has all the sass, and he has all the <laughs> attitude, and just the small remarks that he made throughout the episode just killed me. I was just, especially when he was talking about, Al he was talking to Allison about how she's, like, taking over rule, and he was just like, hmm, mm-hmm, mm -hmm. whatever you say. <laughs> so that was, that was, that was, like, spot on Damon. It was fantastic. Yeah, you make a good point where he, like, He's super observant, but he's, like, quietly observant and kind of annoyingly profound. And it's just kind of like, you're right. And it's yeah. annoying that you're right. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah, he's he's much keener, I think, and he lets on. But everybody already knows that he's, like, hella smart. He definitely gives me, like, his dragon Caraxes vibes, like, oh, amongst yeah. the sheep, you know? So um, I did want to bring attention to him smelling the cup that Viserys's Milk of the Poppy was in. So um, there's actually an ongoing theory that the maesters that are loyal to House Hightower are not actually trying to heal Viserys. Like, they mm. are either letting it run its course medically, or they are actively making it worse. Because, you know, um, Otto Hightower is after the throne, and Alicent is now after the throne. So, which just breaks my heart for him, and I think that um, the face Damon made when he, you know, sensed something was off about the milk of the poppy, just kind of put it all into perspective and might have solidified that a little bit. Because, um, and then Viserys chooses not to take the milk of the poppy because he wants his mind clear for what he has to do for Rhaenyra. So I thought those were some fantastic... Um, like theory easter eggs i guess it's not exactly mm. lore easter eggs because he wasn't this sick in the book originally but it is a good like a theory easter egg to give to viewers for sure to let us kind of like ruminate on it a little bit yeah that actually made me a little sad when he was like no i don't want it because i want my i don't want my brain to be muddy um yeah or foggy i guess and it was just kind of like mm, are they actually trying to help him or not that's a that's a good point yeah, and it just it broke my heart. And we are definitely going to talk more about Viserys because he crushed it in this episode. <laughs> like this was this was his episode. So um, let's go ahead and jump into the blood section so we can get into like the super details of the episode and talk more about Rainey's decision to support Rhaenyra and Viserys. So we're going to jump into the blood right now. 
So I wanted to go in like episode chronological order with my questions for the blood section. So first off, we need to talk about Rhaenys because she starts off ready to oppose Rhaenyra's claim and seat herself on the throne. And then when Viserys walks in, she changes her mind and supports Rhaenyra. So why do you think Rhaenys changed her mind? So I have conflicting uh, thoughts about that. I'm not really sure if she actually changed her mind. Um, I'm not convinced that she was fully going just for herself at the beginning. I do think that she was trying to oppose Vaymond, um, but I don't necessarily think she was doing it um, for herself. So I'm not sure that she actually changed her mind. And went for Rhaenyra, I think she was just trying to be difficult and make her status not fully clear at the beginning um, for other people. I think she was always kind of for Rhaenyra, to be honest. Um, and that might not be accurate at all. Um, but she just doesn't seem like the type of person that was fully in it for herself. Or e she even might have just been in it for Bela since she had her as her ward for a long time. And she might be hoping that um Bela was gonna come out on top and so when Rhaenyra approached her with that um, idea of marrying her children then she was like yep this is how I wanted it to happen but I kind of always think that she was gonna be for Rhaenyra um the entire time yeah I got you I she's definitely a huge supporter of Rhaenyra in the books so I think maybe you might be onto something there with her kind of wanting it to go to Elena's children so um, once Rhaenyra kind of made the offer, she's like, all right, I'll still make it seem like I'm about to, I'll still play the Game of Thrones, you know, and kind of be a little ambiguous about this. But I think also seeing the condition Viserys was in and how much, because they are related, he's her cousin, I think. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think seeing the condition he was in and how much he wanted it to go to Rhaenyra, I think might have moved her a little bit as well. Because, you know, it was, it's essentially his dying wish that Rhaenyra be seated on the Iron Throne. And I do think she always had love for her cousin despite um, the way things went at the Greek Council. So there's a strong possibility that, like you said, um, she got what she wanted with the Bela and Jace match and then kind of went from there. And she may have said what she said about um, the Green Council bringing Rhaenyra to her knees, but Rhaenys having to stand on her own feet. Mm. Um, might have been kind of to boost Rhaenyra a little bit and give her, you know, some light a fire under her ass basically to use a dragon pun <laughs> right <laughs> to kind of boost her up a little bit and be like you need to get ready because they're about to drop the hammer so i thought that was like a really good line too and it really kind of sets those two women up to be pillars on their own but also i'm excited to see them working together on rhaenyra's council um which brings me speaking of um viserys's condition and how moving it was to see him in this episode I do want to ask you, um, what did you think of Viserys in this episode as a whole, and especially at the dinner scene? Yeah, so in the episode as a whole, Viserys killed it. Like you said it earlier, like it was his episode. Um, he's basically a walking corpse, um, and he's kind of gross. <laughs> His his illness is really, really uh, taking over. Um, but as far as the dinner scene goes, um, I it actually moved me a lot, being a full Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones fan, to see happiness in the Red Keep. We have literally never seen a full family and be happy in the Red Keep like that. Even if it was fake happy just for him, like, who cares? Um they were 
fully happy that it was a full family. It gets to me um, because we've never, ever seen that there. And, um, and it was, if it was fake, it was even just for him. And that even that never happened, you know? Um, and when he went to bed and he was, you know, either a having a full heart attack or just his heart was actually aching from the happiness. Um, that's when shit went down, which really kind of shows you that he is holding everything together at the time. And I really appreciated that he kind of took that, that mask off, you know, Phantom of the Opera style off. Um, and just as like, love me as your grandfather and your husband and your father and your brother, not as the king. Like, listen to me as more than just the king. And it was just really moving. I actually really enjoyed that scene a lot. Same, same. And I, I really appreciated how he kind of basically made the statement that, you know, he is the king, but he's also a person. And all this secession crap and, like, the royalty, it comes down to the fact that they are all people. And they all want to be together as a family to a degree, but they're also each looking out for each other as people. Like, Allison is looking out for her children. Rhaenyra is looking out for the Targaryen legacy and her family as well. And it made it so much more personal. And um, I really liked that scene where you could really see Viserys' spirit when he was walking into the um, throne room. And he wanted so badly to like walk up the steps on his own. And Damon was there to help him get the last leg of the way. And um, a friend of mine sent me a, um, like a link that the crown falling off was actually an accident that had happened during filming. But they improved, and so Damon picks it up and puts it on Viserys' head, and they kept that moment. And I think it was such a like a phenomenal moment between these two brothers, because Damon, as far as I know, Damon never really wanted the crown, but he loved his brother. So him putting it on Viserys' head was such a like an impactful scene, and it's also a huge um, foreshadowing moment, because if I remember correctly, Damon is the one who puts the crown on Rhaenyra's head. So he's actually the mm. person who crowns Rhaenyra queen. So, which is just such a good foreshadowing of that moment that he, he puts the crown on Viserys's head and then Viserys is chosen heir. He puts it on her head as well. And I think it kind of puts Damon in the middle of stuff a little bit more. And I think that's really, really nice. But I just thought that Viserys crushed it in this episode. And I see now why Martin was saying that the show gives um, Viserys Targaryen a tragic majesty that um, the books hadn't quite accomplished because they couldn't spend this much time with him as a person. So that's a really cool way to say a tragic majesty. I think that is perfect for Viserys. Yeah. And he wanted, he wanted so bad to be a good king and he did the best he could. He wasn't an iron fisted king, but he was a good person and all he wanted was for his family to be happy. And you're right. At least he was able to have that gift and that last memory of them happy together as a whole and he got to see as far as i know i guess he got to see emma one last time too so the way they closed the episode was just like shit's about to go down now but it's um really impactful and i think it really cements his legacy as the person who was the glue holding these two factions together yeah and even potentially you see allison rhaenyra maybe shoving some shit under the rug before allison you know, gets the, the information that she got at the end of the episode, which we'll get into, but, um, you even see them kind of, and my favorite thing was Otto's 
fucking face whenever Allison walks over to Rhaenyra and, you know, after the battle with the children and after all of the shenanigans, um, Otto, like, breaks his neck and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and Allison's just like, no, come back to us. And Rhaenyra's like, sure, I'll come back on Dragonback, which is actually kind of some foreshadowing there. But um, uh, Allison walks over to kind of, you know, make amends and Otto's like what <laughs> I know and I really first of all Allison was kind of a sympathetic character um in the first half of the season and now Rhaenyra is a sympathetic character in the second half and you could argue it's because of her situation with her children but she is always the first one to offer to make amends and to you know be the bigger person in this scenario basically like you know okay we can set this aside um with a marriage we can set this aside with goodwill we can set this aside with um some more ways of maneuvering around our situation here but i think it meant a lot to allison that rhaenyra recognized what allison did sacrifice and give up because of her situation between her father and viserys i think that that's what moved allison that rhaenyra like now that she's older she's actually understands what it's like to be in the real world and not be you know under her father's hand the whole time basically mm -hmm. she's now able to understand what allison did have to go through to be where she is and i think that's what really turned the tables on their relationship but then we get into that um misunderstanding where viserys is talking to allison and as far as we know allison does not know he's talking about aegon the conqueror's dream he thinks it's some continue she thinks it's some continuation of the dream he told her about around the bonfire earlier on in the season where her son Aegon is the one to unite the kingdoms. And there is a possibility she may have heard about the Song of Ice and Fire from a few people, Daemon and Rhaenyra, possibly. But um, it's not entirely likely that she knows what Viserys was talking about. So there's a 50-50 chance that she's aware what he's actually saying and is just using it as leverage on the situation to manipulate it further for her ends. Or she doesn't know about the Song of Ice and Fire and genuinely thought that it, he meant Aegon II and this was her husband's dying wish. So I'm excited to see that moving forward. I am not usually a fan of the misunderstanding trope because every time I read it in books, it just frustrates me until it gets figured out. But in this one, I think it is perfect for the plot because Rhaenyra and Alicent were just combining forces, basically. And now this misunderstanding is what is going to give each of them the drive needed to go through the rest of the series. Like this one piece of information is going to be enough to motivate both sides equally nonstop. And I am so interested to see how it plays out. Yeah. And that's actually a really perfect segue into our fire section. So we can go ahead and dive into all of the lore that we're talking about now. So let's go ahead and get into that. So, uh, like we were talking about just a second ago with your um, lore of the Song of Ice and Fire and talking about Viserys' dying wish into which Aegon he was talking about, let's go ahead and dive into that a little bit more. So I actually, um, since I haven't read Fire and Blood, I don't know if that information that Viserys just gave Allison will ever get to Rhaenyra. So we don't know if she actually knows which Aegon is being talked about. So let's go ahead and get into that, what, what Allison um, heard from Viserys at the end. Got you, got you. So earlier in the episode, Rhaenyra asked Viserys if basically he really believed the Song of Ice and Fire was true and the Targaryen lineage was going to lead to the prince that was promised, or princess, we're still not sure if it's Danny or not, um, that kind of unites the kingdoms against the Long Night. 
Right. So um, the Prince that was promised prophecy is huge. So um, we'll just kind of stick with what we've got for now. But Viserys, at this point in history, is talking about an Aegon. John is also an Aegon later on. So that's interesting. But there's two Aegons at this point in the timeline. There's Aegon the second that um, is Alicent's son, and there's Aegon the third that is Rhaenyra's son. So. Rhaenyra asks Viserys if he believes the Song of Ice and Fire is true and the prophecy is true, and if so, to defend her and her children. Viserys does defend her, thus confirming Rhaenyra's belief that it is her torch to carry at this point through her children. And Alicent later goes to Viserys to help him with his pain, and he thinks she's Rhaenyra as far as, I'm con as, far as I know, and tells her that the prophecy is true, Someone named Aegon is going to be the one to basically unite the kingdom. And Alicent thinks that that means Viserys wants her son Aegon II to be king. So we're getting into huge spoiler territory, and this is beyond season one. So if you, like, legit do not want to know where this show is going, come back in, like, seven minutes, maybe. <laughs> right. So because we're about to go in on the lore. So after the entire Dance of the Dragons is over... Most of the people who are in it now are dead. Like, dead, dead. So, um, about as dead as you can get, dead. So, <laughs> um, Rhaenyra's son, Aegon Third, survives them. And he is the one that um, the victorious supporters of Rhaenyra's side of the faction put on the Iron Throne. So, he is obviously Daemon and Rhaenyra's son. And his first wife is Jahera Targaryen which is Aegon II and Helena's daughter. So, mm -hmm. in essence, Rhaenyra's son Aegon III does join these two factions back together by marrying Jahera from the Green faction. So, that kind of is where we're going to be at in the Targaryen timeline for now. But, um, so Rhaenyra's son and Aegon's II's daughter are going to get married and unite the faction and that's kind of how House Targaryen goes on. And I believe that the secession continues from Aegon III to Viserys II. Could be wrong, but I think that that's how it went. And then all the way down the line, we find out that I think Jon Snow is Aegon VI. As those of you who have watched Game of Thrones know, right now we're on Aegon II and Aegon III. But in Game of Thrones, um, Jon Snow is actually given the royal title of Aegon VI. And it's really confusing because there were actually, including John, there are supposedly nine Aegons in the Song of Ice and Fire, but they only give the royal title to those who sit the throne. So while I think in reality, Jon Snow would be Aegon IX as far as given name, he's titled Aegon VI because of his position as, you know, king in the north, so he's a king who sits the throne now. But that's why the prophecy Viserys is talking about is so important because it literally goes from Aegon II's line um, with, through Jahera, Rhaenyra's Aegon III's line um, when he marries Jahera and it combines the families all the way down and then, you know, Jon Snow and Danny are descended from them way down in Game of Thrones time and they do defeat the Long Night as far as Shokan is concerned. So it's just a really impactful moment, and that's why it's going to give both sides of this faction the fuel they need to keep going forward. It's an, Holding that prophecy is enough to make Rhaenyra do anything to keep this legacy moving forward against the Long Night and carry this burden and this torch for her family. And uh, Viserys' dying wish that, um, as far as Alicent knows, Aegon II is the 
prince who was promised is enough to make her do anything for her family. So it's just, it's just like they've both been thrown into the flames for the same reason. They just think it's different things. And I think that's going to be an incredible motivator that's going to make you kind of understand where both sides are coming from, even though they're about to do some fucked up shit. <laughs> right. Okay, perfect. That was great. So we will get corrections in the comments if we are wrong, but... We hope we're right. <laughs> hopefully not. So we're going to go ahead and get into Eamon, because we have to talk about Eamon's crazy ass in this episode. So I'm going to start it with asking you, do you think the serving of the pig at dinner, right, the pink dread, um, is what <laughs> caused Eamon to make the strong speech at dinner? And then we can kind of elaborate on Eamon from there. I got you. Okay, so... We're gonna. We're, I think we're gonna love to hate Eamon. I think he's. It's not really a Jamie situation, because in my opinion, he stays a piece of shit the whole show. <laughs> that's just my very personal biased opinion. So um, do with that what you will. <laughs> but we are gonna love to hate this son of a bitch. So <laughs> I already kind of do. Right, right. So we all know there's like this long-standing um, anger kind of festering between him and Rhaenyra's sons. There's also the debt to be paid with um, his missing eye. And you see him looking across the table at Luke like, I'm going to get you back for the fact that you mm. took my eyeball, you know. And Luke starts laughing at him, which I think kind of sends him over the edge because Luke's like, you're still bitter about this. It's been like six years. I got you. Like, I won that shit, you know, because it was a numbers game and Eamon did kind of get teamed up on. We'll be fair. We'll be, we'll be fair. He got teamed up on. So Luke kind of looks across the table at him and is like, he's laughing at him. I think that kind of sends him over the edge because... Regardless of what everybody says, it is true. They are not her true-born sons. But at this point, um, someone did point out on our last episode that um, the king can legitimize basically whoever he wants because of his position as king. So as far as the regency is concerned, it's going straight through Rhaenyra to Jason Luke. So, And that's kind of what counts at that time. So I think Aemon has just had this like long festering anger and it's just going to boil up and he wants that debt repaid, you know, like the whole eye for an eye thing, which brings me to another really big spoiler um, that we are going to talk about in our Dragon Dream section. Um, I'll hold off for now, but um, they are moving um, through the timeline a little faster than I thought they were. So there's a slight chance we're going to get a really big event at the finale episode. So we only have two mm. episodes left, people. So stuff is getting real. Um, but let's see. So I think the pink dread may have started it. The eyeball definitely intensified it. And I think Luke laughing at him was just like the icing on the cake. But I do, I thought that moment where, okay, Eamon is a good fighter. Jace and Luke are not that good of fighters compared to Eamon. Eamon is, like, right up there with Kristen Cole, who knocked Dark Sister out of Damon's hand. But we all know that Damon could beat Kristen's ass if he really wanted to. Let's be real. So <laughs> the moment that um, Damon stood up and he kind of put Jace to the side, he's like, no, nah, if he wants to fight somebody, he can fight me. And I was like, and then um, Eamon wisely walks off. Because he's like, I am not about to win against Damon Targaryen in this room right now. So I just thought that was a good, it was a good, like, father moment for Damon. He's like, I got you. If mm -hmm. he wants to fight somebody, he can fight me. And it sets up the rivalry because there is a big, long-running rivalry between um, Damon and Aemon. It just goes all the way to, um, as far as I know, the end of the Dance of the Dragons um, before, like, the rest of the political stuff takes over and the aftermath happens. So... Keep your eye on those two because the beef is real. 
No, but I really liked that little standoff between Damon and Eamon because it was just kind of like, like you said, it was just kind of like, mm, I got you. And he's like, okay, mm, we're not going <laughs> to do it here. We'll do it later. I got you. We'll save it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, we're, we're, we're going to fight. It's not me today. You, you right. just wait till I get better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I feel like he, um, he, he took one look at Damon. He's like, I'm probably not going to win this fight. Mm-mm. It'd be it'd be it'd be fun to watch because they're both really good um, as far as their skill with like you know weaponry is concerned. But it would not have gone well in Eamon's favor, in my opinion. No. But you guys can also debate about that in the comments. <laughs> on um, for those of you who have read uh, Fire and Blood, you know how the rivalry ends, and I won't overspoil. You know, I'll keep it you know in the sections. But um, you guys know how the rivalry ends. But if they had fought at that moment, are we all in agreement that Damon would have won? I think so. Um, so actually, now that we're into like the big lore, we should probably jump into our dragon dreams where I can kind of start talking about what we're going to um, expect to see in the next couple episodes. So let's hop into that right now. All right. So now that we're in our dragon dream section, I'm going to super spoil. That's what we're going to call it from now. We're going to super, super spoil. spoil. Okay. So um, we've seen the secession for Driftmark settled. So that's done. Um, Corlys, as far as... The books are concerned is going to stick around. I obviously you never know what's going to happen in the show, but I want more of Corlys Valerian. He's badass, so um, I do hope that they, you know, we can expect to see a lot more of him in the future, more than we saw in this season. Um, they did stay pretty close to the books where Damon executes Faemon, so that was close enough. And um, so the next episode sees the small council meeting. So in essence, in like a very summarized way. Viserys dies, and Alicent um, and her small council don't tell anyone that he's dead. And they just leave him there in his bed for days while they arrange to have Aegon II crowned. So, and they don't tell Rhaenyra. She doesn't find out her father died until, I think, someone brings word of it to her. So what we're probably going to see is that small council meeting and um, them kind of doing the plot. And we're probably, I did see the crown go on the green cushion, so there's a strong possibility we will see Aegon's coronation. I have two theories. Either they're going to, because Aegon gets crowned first in King's Landing, and Rhaenyra gets crowned later, because, you know, word had to travel on Dragonstone. So, I think the next episode is titled The Green Council, and the last episode is titled The Black Queen, because of Rhaenyra, right? So... My theory is either they're both going to get crowned in the same episode and then the finale is going to be Rhaenyra coming into her power and making some moves, or they're going to split it up and Aegon gets crowned in this next episode and Rhaenyra gets crowned in the finale. If they go a little faster and they both get crowned in this upcoming one, there's a chance we're going to see the dance over Shipbreaker Bay. And this is the sole reason why I hate Aemond. Big spoilers for everyone involved. Um, the dance over Shipbreaker's Bay happens very, very early in the official Dance of the Dragons after both Aegon II has been crowned and Rhaenyra has been crowned. They are trying to call their banners and see who's loyal to who because they're about to split into official factions for the war, the civil war between the families. So both Aemon and Luke end up at um, 
storms in to get, um, you know, to speak to the person who's sitting on the Baratheon seat of power at the time. And, you know, they share some, there's an exchange of words and some, obviously some details happen, but to keep it short for the sake of our recap here, what happens is Luke leaves first on his dragon, which is very young. It's almost basically only as old as Luke is pretty much, essentially. And Aemon follows him on Vagar, and we have all seen the size of Vagar. And it's like filling the dots from there. It, I think it's storming, and Aemon wants to get revenge for his missing eye. So he and Vagar attack and kill Luke and his dragon in the air in the dance over Shipbreaker's Bay. And I always thought that that one moment was like the nail in the coffin for this war. Like after that point, Rhaenyra was at no turning back point, obviously, because at that point it became blood for blood. Mm. So that's why I hate Aemon so much because that was, obviously nothing is fair in Game of Thrones, but we have all seen Vagar at this point. We have all seen how good of a fighter Aemon is. And Luke was in front of him, like he had already left. They, he wasn't gonna stay and fight, he had left. So it was just a, a low-down, dirty move, very cowardly, and I am just not here for it. And it was also, no pun intended, overkill for losing an eye. So um, let's take another eye, dude. You don't have to kill the whole person right. it's attached to. So we may see that in the finale, depending on how they pace the coronation. So that is like the summary of our timeline of very painful and heart-wrenching events that are to come. Man, that's terrible about them leaving Viserys in the bed. It was so sad when I read it in the book, but, um, you know, you spend more time with him on the show and you kind of see more of, like, the type of person that he is and the caliber of person he is that he cares so much about his family and he's just had this wonderful dinner and then Alicent knows that they can't tell Rhaenyra right away because she's going to come claim her seat and now she thinks that her son is supposed to do that. So they just leave him there to rot for a while before we're... I think someone escapes and takes Viserys's throne to Viserys's crown to Rhaenyra and she wears Viserys's crown I think um which actually um reminds me we did meet um the Cargyle twins Eric and Eric so yeah. it, so they are really important there's a reason they were so featured in this episode okay so you got to see them fighting and they fought prominently in the yard and you also see them throughout the castle so they are important um, I think we get to see why they're important in the next episode. They have a very important duel because they're twins. One of them stays on Alicent's side and one of them stays on Rhaenyra's side. And because they look so much alike, it's a perfect opportunity to infiltrate um, Rhaenyra's faction. So, but um, there are several different accounts, but um, the account that I like the most is where the two brothers meet. And, you know, obviously as soon as they see each other, they know something's up because they're not supposed to be there. Like only one of them is supposed to be in one place at a time. So they obviously automatically know it's a plot to either maybe come assassinate somebody, kind of come stir up some trouble, do something else. And they fight, you know, to the death to keep it from happening and mm. each one for their own side. So they are very important. So I saw them and I immediately knew I was like, oh, it's about to get messy. <laughs> it's about to get bloody up in here. So we are in for it. We are in for heartbreak and tragedy and the real beginning of the fire and the blood. So there's going to be a lot for me and Michelle to talk about. We're going to have a lot of tea to get into and a lot of fire to talk about. So uh, brace yourselves, buy some steel cages for your hearts because we are now officially, as soon as Viserys died, like the dance, the dragon started. So we have made it, people. We've been, we spent eight episodes 
on this, like the prelude and the buildup, and now the fire is officially here. So um, we'll have a lot to talk about. We're going to be back every Tuesday on CouchSoup.com during season one to recap the latest episode of House of the Dragon. So you can watch us on CouchSoup.com on Tuesdays, or it gets released on YouTube on Wednesdays on every podcast platform of your choice. Uh, So be sure to hit that like button. Let us know in the comments what lore you'd like us to dive into next and any of the prompts that we already mentioned during the episode. And then we will see you next week with all the fire and soup. Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? The All Things Alice podcast will explore the cultural phenomena of Alice in Wonderland. Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, is your host through a wonderverse of interviews from all types of creators as they chronicle the dark yet empowering reality of Lewis Carroll's fantasies and answer the question, what is it about Alice that captivates us still today? The All Things Alice podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts.